Welcome to the Octopi Podcast. On this episode, I'll sit down with David Mead, author, speaker, and overall leadership aficionado to talk about how we can be more authentic leaders and how we can really become the people we want to be. All that and more right now. Welcome everyone to this episode of the Octopi Podcast. Once again, this is Matt and I am joined today by my good friend and colleague, David Mead. Welcome, David. Hello, hello. Thanks, Matt. Good to be here. Yeah. So for those who don't know, I've, and David, I've known you now since, well, it's probably been six, seven years now. Um, mm-hmm. like uh, a little little story about David. David is one of the primary reasons that I do what I do now. Uh, and I don't even know if he even knows that. I'm looking at his face hmm. and he's got a little bit of a surprised look on his face. But when we both met, I was in a former life. I was I was working uh, at a retail company. I was a software product manager. I had no aspirations of speaking, doing workshops, facilitating any of that stuff. And uh, it was David coming in and leaving, leading a workshop that actually led me down the path that I am on now. So I owe a lot to you, David. So thank you for, for setting me on that path. You're welcome. Uh, just a, a quick side note. I remember, uh, I remember that first experience when we were working together at that company, I'd come, come in and do that, to do that work. And we were essentially training you and a bunch of people to, you know, to train the, the, the work that we were doing and uh, within your company. And I was so like annoyed that you were so good at what, what I did. So annoyed. I was like, man, like I've been doing this for like five years already. And this guy's better at it than I am. That was, that was humbling. It was good. This is, this is what he does folks. He is really good at uh, pumping you up. So just be ready. There was probably going to be a lot of that. So for those who don't know, David, he is a speaker, been doing it for a long time, also an author um, who's working on a new book, which we'll talk about here in a second. And just like general student of leadership, I wanted to call him a leadership expert, but just as you heard him be humble recently, he refused that title, which I acknowledge is, is probably best because once someone calls himself an expert, they probably don't think they have any room left to grow. So much respect as a student of leadership. So David, I would love, so I know you're working on a new book, which is called Behind the Curtain, and would love for you to, if you don't mind, share kind of like a high level, what's what's the concept? And, and I'd love to dive in a little bit more here in a moment, but just what's the book about in large part? Sure. So the, the title Behind the Curtain, I'm still working on the subtitle, but um Essentially, it's, it's looking at the world as a stage, right? Shakespeare said, all the world's a stage. Uh, I happen to think he's right. The, and the, the analogy that I use is sort of this idea of what's in front of the curtain and what's behind the curtain. So, you know, in, a, in any performance, whether you're a speaker or a, you know, a musician or comedian, whatever it is, you perform on the apron. This is the part of the stage that's in front facing the audience, right? <clears throat> and so we whatever we say, whatever we do, when we interact with people, that's our performance. We're out there performing. We're out there speaking, behaving, uh, whether it's leading a workshop or talking to our team or teaching our kids, whatever it is, however people interact with us, that's our stage. That's the way we perform. We also all have a backstage and that represents our character, who we really are, right? And so the idea is that, again, and, and I'm, I'm writing this book and, and the, the way that I'm thinking about all these things is through my own experience, what I've experienced myself and what I've observed in other leaders as well, is that often, whether we're in a, an official leadership position, we're just in, a, in some position of influence, 
what people see as the performance on the apron in front is not necessarily congruent or in alignment with what's going on in the back. So essentially we are acting as a character rather than acting in alignment with our character. Mm. So the idea is, you know, we, we have this illusion because what, what separates the front of the stage and the back of the stage, a curtain, right? So we put up this curtain. We, we feel like we can hide behind it. We feel like we can, you know, protect ourselves with keeping things behind it that people will never see. But the idea is that this curtain is an illusion. And eventually, you know, it could be next week. It could be in 15 years. Who knows when it is, but that curtain will eventually disappear. People will eventually see that what we are saying and doing, if it's not in alignment with our true character, with who we really are, that curtain is going to get pulled back. And it's not us that does it. It's somebody else that does it for us. Um, and so the idea of the book is how do we, what principles can we live by? What leadership principles can we learn and practice daily? These small, simple things that we can practice daily that remove the, the need for the illusion of that curtain where we can actually perform. We're always going to be performing. We're always going to be in front of people. But how do we make sure that that performance aligns with what's backstage? So we're not afraid of having people look back there. So that who we're presenting ourselves as actually reflects our true character. Well, I, I think everyone probably listening, myself included, we've seen this, you know, we felt it and, and probably felt it in ourselves, right? It's not just everyone else does this. I think each of us of does it, you know, in our own yep. lives and in our own ways. So I'm curious to hear, and I know this is a general question, so I'll, I'll preface that with that, but what do you think it is that really drives the need for us to put up that curtain that really, you know, limits us? Because what you're describing, I think is, is spot on in that who we really are at our core, for some reason, we think that it needs to be hidden. There are a few things, I think, and this is not an exhaustive list, but I think a lot of the things that contribute to us wanting to put up that curtain are fear right? Fear of losing something. If somebody finds out that we're not really who we say we are, or that we don't have the experience or the knowledge or whatever, right? And I, I yeah. mean, it's so funny because as I rattle off this list, again, to your point, I see myself in every single one of these things. And, and every single one of these things has contributed to me putting up the curtain at, at some point or other in my life. Um, but I think fear is a big one. Fear of inadequacy, fear of being left behind, fear of damaging a relationship um, is, is a big one. Pressure, right? We get a lot of pressure from either, you know, our peers, our colleagues, our leaders that are higher up than us, financial pressures, all these things cause us to perform in a way that's not true to our character. Um, I think a lot of it is ego as well, especially when we're in a position of uh, authority. Um, I think we, you know, we want to be respected. We, we want to have people look up to us. And so we might, you know, again, act in ways that are not totally congruent with who we are. There's a, a sense of control. Right. Where, um, again, if when we're in a position of authority, we call the shots and it's it's not up to us to be to, to show our weakness or to show our vulnerability. And it, it, again, it's the fallacy that I think a lot of leaders have. But yeah. these are some of the things that uh, that cause us to put up that curtain. I think for me, one of the big things is um, imposter syndrome. Right. Mm, yeah. The uh, when we you know worked together uh, recently over the last few years, the speaker that. I represented and the, you know, that we represented together. I was the mm -hmm. first person who publicly represented that person and who essentially started speaking on his behalf. Yeah. 
And I mean, this is a guy who's got, you know, a TED talk with millions of views. This is a guy who's well known and I'm standing on a stage in his place. And in my mind, I'm thinking I have to be him. Because, mm. you know, I knew the content, I was comfortable with it. I lived it, I breathed it, I, I, I believed in it wholeheartedly. And yet I just wasn't as good. And so I would go into client meetings or, you know, the, the, the phone calls that we would have before the events. And if I would, you know, if they would mention something or talk about something that I wasn't completely familiar with, I felt like, oh, I'm representing this person. I have to, you know, come across as though I know what I'm talking about with the content or with their business or whatever it is, even though I don't have the experience. And I put up that curtain to try to come across as though I was better qualified than I was. And so I think imposter syndrome, however that shows up for a lot of us, is a big thing that gets us to put that curtain up. Yeah, that definitely resonates. And it just brings to mind for me a lot of this idea of the expectation we see, like we've externalized an expectation. And, and there's this sense of almost, you know, we have these goals that we chase. And that next version of us that we picture ourselves as a speaker, as an author, as a vice president of a company, as a founder of a startup or whatever it might be, as a parent, it could be any of these mm -hmm. things. And there's in almost every scenario that I see, whether it's at work or in personal life, when we get to that bar, it almost feels like we have this moment of realization of, I'm not the person that I pictured would be here. And... I am not worthy of that because the person I pictured who would be here was clearly worthy of that. They had all of these things. And, and this is, of course, the narrative that I'm telling myself. That person probably didn't have those things either. But the idea that we don't have, that we're not worthy, I guess, is in the background of a lot of this. And you mentioned with the imposter syndrome, worthiness of yourself in a position like that, I think, is a huge incentive to pretend like, you know, I hear fake it till you make it. And I hate that phrase um, because, mm -hmm. you know, like to an extent, like I get the spirit behind it, but in, in reality that pretends that you're once you're eventually you're going to be comfortable with it. And if you're growing, I don't think you ever do fully get there to where you're like, I am, I am that person, you know, because everybody who I've seen to get there <laughs> probably gets a little bit of ego pushed in there as well. It's interesting because one of the, one of the specific sort of characteristics that I talk about in the book of, you know, how do we get rid of this need for the illusion of the curtain? Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But one of the things that I think is so interesting to me is that when at least this is what I found in my own experience, and I, I don't pretend to that this is how it is for everyone. But when I'm willing, and I'm open to allow people to see what's back there and see not, you know, I'm not saying we have to overshare, like show everybody all the personal mess that we have going on in our lives. That's not it. It's, it's, you know, it's what, in what context are you sharing this stuff? Um, and is it, are, are you sharing what is appropriate to be shared within the context in which you're working? Right. Right. So when I'm struggling with something in a work uh, environment, for example, if I can let people see where I'm flawed, where I'm struggling, where I have weakness, where I need some help, people are more willing to step up and help me. But if I hide that constantly and I you know, put up a, a good show and I pretend like I'm good at everything and I pretend like I know what I'm talking about and I pretend like I don't need anybody else, well, then nobody's gonna help and I'm gonna continue to struggle. Yeah. So, you know, and, and I, I might advance myself, I might you know, get promotions and I might climb up that ladder, but it's gonna get lonelier and harder and you know, more stressful because I still don't know what I'm doing. But now I'm expected to know what I'm doing. And so it's even <laughs> harder to ask for help. It's kind of like that thing where 
you know, you, you meet somebody and then you forget their name and then you have six interactions with them and it's just, you can't ask their name anymore. Right. Yeah. You have to so, ask someone who knows them like, wait, do you right. know that person? And then they're like, to, um, which person? And you're like, I don't know their name. I can't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's not like I've done that before at all. Yeah. None of us have. So the idea is, and I, I think especially when we're in the position of a, you know, when we're a new leader or we're new within an organization, it's not that you can't backtrack and fix this stuff later, but it's so much easier to do it from the beginning. Yeah. And to, rather than having to unlearn or to undo things that have already been done to just start in a way that's more uh, authentic is overused, but that's just more in line with our, our character. Yeah. This is reminding me, I was having a conversation recently with a friend about vulnerability and the idea of vulnerability and how there is this misconception, like you're talking about a vulnerability isn't, oh, the world's the worst and I'm awful at everything. It's not being oversharey or any of those kinds of things, or, or even like people talk about overly emotional. It's not what that means. What it means mm-hmm. is simply the recognition that all of us are human and that's okay. And in leadership, I think you're absolutely right. We get this, uh, once I am perceived as a leader or in a position of authority, the pressure that is either put upon me by the organization or by myself. And I I do think it's important to draw that distinction, right? Because systems play a part and individuals Mm -hmm. play a part. And the individual that is me is thinking, well, if I want my team to perform at a high level, I have to be leading by example, which means... I can't be messing up all the time. Otherwise, they're going to have excuses to mess up all the time. So we have this narrative on our heads that we have to nail it. But in reality, all that we are doing is communicating to them that they aren't allowed to make mistakes or ask questions. And when that's the case, we start just hiding things, right? And and any leader in an organization, if you ask them, do you want your team members, if they don't understand something, to come to you and ask for help? Everyone you uniformly would say, yes, absolutely, duh. Yeah, sure. Yeah. The only way we can help them, but they aren't creating the conditions in which people will naturally do that. They're actually achieving the opposite by, by putting up this curtain and standing in front of it. So I just think it's really interesting yeah. how we get there. Yeah, it's a great point. Um, I, I want to ask you, how do we, and you hinted at this a moment ago, stop putting the pressure on people, either ourselves or the people in our care, our team members, our family members, our friends, whoever it might be. How do we stop putting that pressure on those people to put up the curtain in the first place? I think a big, uh, a big thing is leading by example. Uh, we have to be willing to do this ourselves. To your point from just a second ago, you know, we can say all these things all we want, but again, if, it's, if that's the performance, but that's not really what we're doing, if there's that dissonance between what we're saying and what we actually, you know, what we actually do ourselves or what we, what we actually believe, there's a problem there. I think leading by example is the first thing. So um, this, and this is interesting because this takes me back to really the, the origin story of these ideas that I've been thinking about for the last year or so, which is it's the, the most interesting thing. I, um, you know, back when we were standing on stages talking to people before COVID, <laughs> I used to start a lot of my talks just asking people to think about their favorite job. That's it. Just think about your favorite job. And disproportionately, the number of people who uh, shared that their favorite job was something that they had when they were probably 20 years or younger, it it was disproportionate, like 95% probably. Camp counselor, 
I worked at, you know, a, a sandwich shop. I, I was a, a lifeguard, like all these jobs that like, of course, they're not your career. It's not what they're yeah. doing now for the most yeah. part. Um, and it was really interesting to me. The reason they shared for, for that being their favorite job was because of the impact they were able to have on somebody else. Mm. Things they were able to do and the things they were able to, to, the ways they were able to serve others, right? And I found it really interesting because my experience is the exact same, right? This origin story for me uh, comes down to when I was 17 years old, I worked at this bagel shop downtown. And of course, it wasn't going to be a career, right? It was a part-time bagel shop gig. No, you know, it was nothing. But I com have compared every single job I have had in my entire career to that job because of the guy who ran the shop. And we'll call him Brad just for our purposes here. But when I look back at, at him and all of the other great leaders that I have had or the other great leaders that I have observed that, that have cultures that are strong, where trust is present, where people feel fulfilled, where they thrive at work, I've narrowed it down to three. I mean, there are a lot of characteristics, but I sort of umbrella them all in, in, into three main attributes that these leaders have. Those three attributes are honest, humble, and human. So to answer your question of, you know, how do we get people to, to remove that need for the, the curtain? Well, we practice these ourselves. We practice on being honest, humble, and human ourselves. And by modeling that behavior and helping other and creating the environment where it's okay for other people to do the same thing, that's how we eliminate the need for that. So um, if you want, we can, we can just talk, you know, a little bit about some more of the details, because it's not just dictionary definitions for me of, of honest, humble, and human. This, these are, again, come from my experience and, and what I've observed. Yeah, because I'm as I look at that list, because uh, I'm taking notes here. The thing that I, it, to me, the difference between honest and humble, pretty clear. The difference between honest and human, I, I I was curious about. So I'd love for you to dive into kind of those three buckets and just describe what you see there. Sure, and you know, again, my I'm still my my thinking is still evolving on on all these things, so I haven't fleshed it all out completely. But when I think of honest, and again, I think back to specific leaders, specific people uh, in my life that I've observed and, and seen as honest. For me, honest is more than just telling the truth. That's an important component of it, of course. But getting back to this curtain analogy, it's the things that they say align with the things that they actually do. So if they're preaching something, teaching something, if they say they stand for something, believe in something, if they're spouting the, you know, the company values, whatever it is, they are the first ones to be doing those same things. So their behavior matches their uh, matches what they say, right? So that's it's basically honest in in behavior and words. Um, and you know, a, a simple example from from bagel shop, right? One of the things that they would have us do or ask us to do, we, we had to wash our hands like every time we turned around, right? And I can't remember exactly what the what the criteria was for washing hands, but I remember the first few weeks, like my hands were red because I washed my hands so much, oh. but. Brad was the first one to be doing the same thing. Every time he turned around and looked at the sink, he was there washing his hands too. So yeah. it wasn't just something that he put in the manual, something that he told us to do and didn't do himself. He lived the same thing. He did the same thing. So I think that is, a, is such a huge builder of trust and credibility uh, in a leader when you see them actually actioning on the things that they tell us are important or the things that they've asked us to do, right? Yeah. Um, so that's sort of the crux of, of honest. <clears throat> Humble... I've, uh, is an interesting one for me, and that really the the main point around humble is just dropping ego. We all have it. We're never going to get rid of it entirely, but it's a, it's this again constant pursuit of how do we get rid of our ego. And so I think about it in a couple of different uh, ways. 
with that. And I, I think humble pairs really nicely with confidence, which is different than arrogance, is different than ego, right? Mm -hmm. So when we pair humble with confidence, we get humble confidence, right? Which is a term that I talk about a lot. So it comes in two ways. We can, we can have humble confidence in our strengths, right? What we do well, but not from an ego perspective of, hey, look at me, look what I can do, and I can use this to get ahead myself. But it's about how do we use our strengths to lift others up rather than to lift ourselves up, right? That's how we can be, be confident in our strengths, but do it in a humble way where we're actually being a benefit to the people around us, not just benefit to ourselves. Yeah. Now, of course, we all have strengths and weaknesses, but I think we can also be confident, humbly confident in our weaknesses and recognize yeah. that even though we always have something to learn, always have something to improve upon, we're confident enough in who we are and our, what our character is, that we don't attach our weaknesses to our self-worth. Mm. One of the things that I've noticed is when I am caused to be humble, right? When somebody calls me out for something um, that I have for, so perfect example, I, I handle a lot of the sort of, um, I don't know, logistical and like managerial stuff around our house, right? right. And when my wife makes a comment that, I, you know, didn't do something right, or I, you know, I could do this thing better, which I am, I'm the one who does that thing. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, that just like nothing gets my ego flaring up like that. <laughs> I'm yep. like, I'm the one that deals with this day in, day out, week after week, month after month. Like, how, how dare you like question my ability or my intelligence on doing this thing, right? Yep. And I attach my weakness in something, the fact that I have something to learn and I can do something better that she just casually observed that she's so good at. I tie that to my self-worth. And mm. I think she doesn't think I'm smart. Man, I must not be really as good at this, at this thing as I, as I thought I was. Um, so this idea of being humble in our, and com but confident in our weaknesses means we always have something to learn and we don't attach our weaknesses to our self-worth. That's where the confidence comes in. I'm still... Mm intelligent. I'm still able. I'm still capable. I can still do a lot of things well. And yeah, man, somebody called me out and I can do something better. So that's the humble piece. Um, the human piece is, it's not only and it, where this first started out for me was, you know, how do we just really ensure that the people that we lead feel valued and valuable? But it's, it's gone beyond that a little bit to whenever we make a decision, the human piece of it is are we considering the humans that will be affected by that decision that we make? Mm. No matter what the decision is, if it's a, de a decision that will affect one person or a decision that will affect our entire customer base. And it's not that, that we're always going to make the quote unquote right decision, but at least are we considering, do we have it in our minds? What is the impact on the human beings when we make a decision? So when we can, and again, this is the sort of the, the, the thesis that I'm working on or the theory that I'm working on is when we can, and we'll never master it, but when we practice these attributes of honest, humble, and human ourselves, lead ourselves in our own lives that way, organize our own backstage and have our own character be, you know, in support of the performance that we give, we create that environment for other people to show up honest, humble, and human as well, because we see them, we see their weaknesses, we work with them, we, the decisions that we make are in, in as much as we can in their best interest as well. But when we can uh, show up in this way, that's what allows us to remove the need for that illusion of the curtain. 
We just don't need it anymore because we're acting in alignment with our character. Yeah. And this, this brings something that I hadn't really thought about until now. So uh, this may, <laughs> this may come out half-baked, but the thing that this brings up for me is how rare that actually is and how much of a shame that is. Because I say that because think about your best friends and the people that you consider yourself very close with. It's probably because they let you behind the curtain, right? And, and the fact that it's so unique that they would let you do that, you feel privileged, right? It, it enhances the connection. I had this conversation with one of my friends the other day and um, he needed some help. And I, you know, I have been the recipient of his help for years. And to finally be able to help him out while he's struggling and going through something was actually an honor. It didn't feel like, you know, a burden or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And it's because there is this, you're letting me be a part of the real you, be, be part of the show backstage, if you will. And it resonating with me that deeply just goes to show that that doesn't happen very often at all with anyone, which is really, it really doesn't. Yeah. Really sad. Cause it could, it could create such deeper connections, I guess is what I'm trying to say with people. What, so two thoughts come to mind based on what you just said. One is uh, what does happen from time to time is that, you know, people will give us the sort of the illusion that we're being let backstage. Like they'll, they'll let us into this, you know, eight by eight curated, you know, section <laughs> of backstage. Yeah. Which looks like, Ooh, I'm letting you into my, you know, into my, into my backstage area, but really like that's closed off from everything else. And it's just an extension of the performance. Right. Yeah. And the second thing is none of us really as a performer, you know, in front of the curtain uh, does everything by ourselves. We might be on the stage by ourselves, but it's very rare that we have nobody backstage that we don't have a crew back there, right. A backstage crew. Yeah. Um, this could be, you know, in a family situation, this could be our, our, our kids, our spouse, the partner, um, roommate, you know, whoever it is that kind of sees the real us when we're not on, um, in a, in a work scenario, maybe it's our immediate team. Um, but we, we usually all have somebody who's sort of in that inner circle who gets to see us when we're not quote unquote on stage, when we're not on. Right. And those people have a very, can have a very different experience of us because they see us when we come off stage, they know when it went well or when it didn't. And so, again, the opportunity that we have is to make sure that the people that are backstage there with us are having the same experience that we're trying really hard to give those that are sitting in the seats. Um, I mean, when you have that dissonance between the performance that you give to the audience and the performance that you give backstage or the thing, you know, how you show up backstage, that's the big issue. And I think an example of this is, and it came up, you know, a few months ago was Ellen's Generous, where... She has this show of, you know, kindness and, you know, she seems like this, this great person that's, you know, loving and caring and, and, you know, gives so much to so many people. And yet, you know, what we found out is that that's not what was going on backstage and her crew, literally her immediate team, (laughs) all the people backstage. Her literally backstage crew. Yeah. Yeah. Literally. We're not experiencing the same leader, the same person. Um, And so that's another thing we have to be really careful about. Yeah. I think that's a great example. And something that you mentioned at the beginning there that really caught my attention is we think we can get away with it too. 
and I'm not talking about the Ellen thing. I'm, I'm talking about letting someone in with like the VIP pass version of backstage, yeah, you know, yeah. like that curated experience of us. Mm-hmm. Um, we think, we think we got away with it, but if you've ever been on the receiving end of that, you know, you feel it. You know, I, I have a friend who I'm still friends with to this day. And we, we had a feedback conversation about this and man, it's been at least two years now that this happened, but we were, we were on a trip and she was with her family. I was, you know, we were there on work together and there was just this, like, I felt this odd barrier of, well, I don't necessarily want you to cross that line into this part of my life. Hmm. And it's, it brings up an interesting question, which is what role do boundaries like that play with this? Cause I don't think they have to be at odds, but I think, sometimes we imagine that that is at odds, right? Like, well, my work circle is not my family, is not my friends, and, and I'm, I'm going to show up differently. And I think that the story we tell ourselves is, well, because I show up differently, these, these, these cannot cross, like there cannot be overlap. When in reality, what's actually happening there is that just like you said, everyone's having a different experience of us. And there is almost, it's almost like a strategic, no one gets to know the full picture of me. It's Mm -hmm. you get a version and you get a version and you get a version. And, and I'm telling myself that I'm just, I'm just putting in boundaries, but in reality, it's not about healthy boundaries. It's about self-preservation and maybe just this wizard of Oz image that we're trying to project. It's so funny that you mentioned the wizard of Oz, because that's, uh, that's an analogy that I use in the book. Um, so to, to go back a little bit to the beginning of what you were saying is we, we will get exposed. It's not us necessarily that, that pulls back the curtain and does the, the big reveal most of the time. Usually it's Toto, right? Usually it's somebody <laughs> else who, um, you know, it pulls that back for us or, or you know, something happens where, where we're quite honestly the last to know that the curtain is there. Yeah. And, and on the point of sort of giving people different versions of ourselves. Uh, I think that's really interesting because I think while, you know, in a, in a home context versus a work context versus church or community, like wherever we are, we may want to set up some different boundaries or show up slightly differently. But I think the, the key is who, who are we at our core and how do we set those boundaries? Mm-hmm. How do we talk to people when we, when we set those boundaries? So I'll give you an example. Um, I, absolutely love getting on a stage, engaging with an audience, wrapping my arms around them, you know, sharing an inspiring message. And, and, you know, just, I love that. But as an introvert, the last thing I want to do is when I walk off the stage is go to the bar and keep doing that with them. Right. (laughs) I want to go to my room and be by myself. Yep. And, And I can do that and still maintain my character because like, for example, it's the difference between me walking off stage and being a jerk to anybody from the audience that I meet after that, or mm-hmm. being in the elevator and, you know, engaging with them and still being kind and still saying, man, yeah, that, you know, I'm kind of worn out. I'm just going to go to my room uh, and, and, and chill, but gosh, thank you so much for coming. And, you know, still engaging with them in a way that is still me, yeah. but is different than how I showed up on the stage. I, I don't, I'm not the kind of outgoing person who wants to continue doing that. Like I'll do it for the time. But my love for the people or my, my commitment to, to propelling people forward or the, the, the work that I'm doing doesn't change, but I, I just have different boundaries in different places. And I think that's okay as long as we you know, show up in the same way, as long as our character is still 
in alignment. I love that. And I think that's a really good call out because character is not the vernacular you use. And that's the example that, that comes to mind for me is like, I've led workshops where I've talked about the balance of where, how you show up across the board, essentially. And if you show up differently with one group than you do with another, you're probably not being authentic. And what some people hear is, well, with my friends, I might curse a little bit more. I might have some drinks, those kinds of things. And with my family, I would never do that. You know, I'm, I'm very much more buttoned up, but they still see like a different side, you know, whatever. And mm-hmm. so they're like, I'm, I feel like you're calling me not authentic. And that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is what you're talking about with character because character isn't, oh, I never cuss. Character is, are the values that I say that I hold, the things that I profess to hold dear to me that I say are core to who I am, Mm-hmm. They may manifest differently in different scenarios, but are those still intact? Is my respect for people still intact, whether I'm with my friends, whether I'm with my family, whether I'm at work? Is my uh, desire for creating an uh, inviting atmosphere, having fun, can I do that at home? Do I do that at work? Do I do that with my friends? Like Those core elements may look and sound a little different, but at the end of the day, what you're talking about is this alignment with character and, and those traits that I think underlie those specific manifestations. Yeah, and I'll, I'll borrow a, um, a distinction from our friend Peter Docker of being and doing, right? Mm-hmm. I may do different things, you know, depending on if I'm at work or at home or wherever I am, uh, I might be doing different things, but who am I being? Am I showing up in the same way? Am I creating the same type of environment? Am I uh, occurring to people in a, in a way that's consistent? Um, and that's, that's really the key. And that, now, again, that doesn't give us license to do whatever we want. Um, but it really, again, it boils down to who at our core, who are we, what drives us, what determines the decisions that we make. And we make, may make different decisions in different places, but again, it's sort of that, I don't don't want to call it a lowest common denominator, but it's really at the the very core of who we are, at our very simplest form, what drives us, what's, what's behind it all. Yeah. I think that naturally points to the question for some people, which is, how do you put words to that? How do you let people know? I mean, obviously behavior is one of those things and maybe that's all we can do, right? Is just the way that we show up, who we're being. Mm-hmm. But I think you and I would both agree that to, to create that personal accountability, to hold myself accountable, articulating those things is really important. So I'm curious to know, do you have any tips for someone who might be doing some soul searching at the moment of like, how do I know what those things are? Is it, do I ask people? Do I, is it just self-reflection? Do I need to just read a book? Like, do you have any of those kinds of uh, tips for people to kind of get some words around that? Uh, I don't know that I have a perfect answer. And I, as I'm, you know, as I'm putting some of these thoughts together, the first step to me, I think is just being willing to look at ourselves critically. Mm. And see if we can identify on our own, oh, you know what, in this particular relationship or in these types of situations, I don't necessarily show up as honest or humble or human, right? Or I could do better at that. If we really can't think of anything, then I would say, you know, the next step is go to your backstage crew, go to that inner circle, go to the people that are closest to you and say, hey, these are some of the things that I'm, I'm you know, I'm trying to strengthen my character. I'm trying to make sure that the things that I do and say are in alignment. I'm trying to really, you know, show who I am being through the ways that I act and behave and speak. What have you seen 
um, that is that is not in alignment with who you know who you think I am or who uh, mm. that's, that's an interesting one too because then we're we're assuming that people know our character. But I, I think you know often the people who are closest to us they see the good, and then they can also see the things that are like yeah that doesn't really seem like you right having known you for years and years like this was out of character for you. Uh, and we use that term a lot that's out of character for you. So yeah. maybe having those conversations and and you know just um, being open. And, you know, again, you don't have to agree with or, or take in everything, but just start having those conversations. I think the, the first thing um, or the, the biggest thing for me, I think when I started really working on myself and I have such a long way to go, but the, the thing that I started working on was just be open to the experience of others. Mm. I may not see it the same way. I'm, I may kick against it. I, my ego might rear up and, you know, punch you back at yeah. first, but be open to hearing those things about yourself. Um, and this is a process. This takes time. This isn't something you're going to figure out in a week and a half. Um, you're not going to end up, you know, being a different leader tomorrow than you are today, just because you thought about this stuff or you had a conversation. This is a daily pursuit. Mm-hmm. It never ends. And the, the other thing to, to keep in mind as well is that all of us are, you know, when it comes to these, these honest, humble and human character traits, we all have those to a certain degree, right? They're all, it's not like we have none of them or, 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 you know, we were completely devoid of these things. We all have them, but there's always room for improvement. There's always uh, a, a, an opportunity to, to do better. Yeah. And a couple of things come to mind as you're sharing that I'll just touch on the last thing that you mentioned, um, which is, I see this as the other thing they all three have in common is you have to want to improve. Like we may all have them, but the only way you develop any of those three categories personally is to put in the effort and you have to want to do it to do it. You can't have someone else tell you to be more honest and that, that drive you to do that. Right. Or be more right. humble. Right. That's it's inward only. Um, the, the th- I love that you brought up um, and, and you kind of use these words in different circumstances, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase, but asking the question, what's your experience of me? is mm-hmm. I think it a supremely powerful question that you can ask someone who you trust and know. And like you said, you know, a lot of that will have to do with them. But if you ask three or four different people, what your experience is of me, and they all say something similar, then mm-hmm. chances are there's something to it. Um, and especially if you ask them from people who are not in the same context, right? From those different yeah. groups that we talked about. Something that I've been thinking about a lot lately, and I'm not sure still how I feel about it because it involves like shame and I'm not sure how I feel about shame. However, it can be a great indicator of when you have felt out of character. And so Mm -hmm. using something that is typically something we would avoid and walk away from and, and doesn't hold much space in our lives. Shame to me is, is a tool we use to punish ourselves a lot of times and each other um, in, in unhealthy ways. But one way you can take that tool and actually use it to your advantage while reflecting and doing some of the soul searching that we've been talking about, like inward, is to look back at the times that you have felt either ashamed of something you've done or you haven't been proud of who you were in a certain moment. And looking at the root cause of that, I think can start to clarify these things as well. But like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to say, look for when you feel ashamed because that's, you know, getting people to focus on something that is, is could lead to a, a downward spiral, but using it as an effective weapon of exploration, I think can be a handy tool at your disposal. 
Yeah, it, it, that prompts two thoughts, um, which hopefully I'll remember both of them. Um, <laughs> the, the first is, you know, it goes back to when, when I was talking about the definition of humble is it's okay to think back of time, think back to times when we have been ashamed of something, as long as we don't attach our own value or worth to that thing. Yes. Right. Yes. As, we, as we just sort of look at it as, okay, let's look at it as, you know, just a data point. This happened, not a reflection of I'm good or I'm bad, but it just, it is, it happened. What can I learn from that? And how do I move forward from it? Right. Without attaching that thing to our own worth, I think is Love one that. way to, to kind of get around that perhaps. Um, the second thing also is, is, you know, if we're going to talk to that backstage crew, if we're going to engage that inner circle of, of asking, what's your experience of me, maybe uh, fine tuning that and saying, what's your experience of me when I've been out of character? Again, with that idea in mind of just because I acted in that way doesn't make me bad, right? Mm -hmm. doesn't, make, doesn't make me a bad person. I'm not attaching my worth or my, my value to that. But what is your experience of me that didn't feel right, that didn't feel like me? Um, and that might help us hone in on some of, the, some of the things that are more constructive and some of the things we can work on rather than people just, you know, telling us all the good stuff, yeah. which is nice, but doesn't really help us as we're trying to grow and improve. I, I think that's a great way of framing that up, especially the allowing yourself to fully feel that thing and still being able to release that. Um, that's something that I've been, I mean, you and I were talking before we hopped on on this thing that I've been working on around growth and and the key thing in that path to me, the only way we get to be the person we want to become and don't get tied back to where we were is only once we open ourselves up to the possibility that we haven't been that thing, you know, that maybe I have abused power in the past. Maybe I've treated someone unkindly or unfairly. Uh, maybe I did do some of these things that I see in other people and I hate. And we oftentimes refuse to look at that and internalize it and make peace with it. But at the same time, the only way we can get to the point where you're talking about is if we allow ourselves to not attach our self-worth to it. When I recognize I'm human, this happens, I can be remorseful for it, I can, I can try and make amends, I can do all the things that I can. But the fact that I did this thing does not make me the worst person in the world. You know, I love that you brought that up and the ability to kind of acknowledge imperfect. It goes back to this human piece, right? Acknowledging that we're not perfect and yet giving yourself the grace to say, that doesn't mean I'm not worthy. It just means I've got somewhere to go. You know, um, talking about shame, it reminds me of, I think it's in Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. I don't know if you read that one, but she talks about the difference between shame and guilt. Mm -hmm. um, and I can't remember which one she defines as which, but it's basically what we've been talking about is one makes you feel bad about yourself. And the other makes you feel bad about the thing. Mm. And it's okay to feel bad about the thing that we did or the way we behaved or what we said or that kind of thing. Um, but again, it's, it's, it's that detachment. And, and she does a really nice job of, of explaining that in much better detail than I ever could. So I think it's Dare to Lead, uh, Brene Brown. That's a great call out. So uh, my question to you is, as uh, any of our listeners know, we end with something called una cosita mas, which is one more little thing. So what is one last little thing, an idea, a concept, a podcast, a movie, whatever is top of mind for you right now that uh, you think would be good to pass along to our listeners? You know, you would think with all the podcasts that I've done and all of them that do something like this at the end, I would be better at this. <laughs> I'll get this part, man. Yeah, this is the, so, um, this is the hot I'll, seat. I'll, 
Yeah, uh, there is one thing that comes to mind, and it's not necessarily related to anything that we've talked about, although I'm sure if I thought about it for 10 minutes, I could probably come up with something much more inspiring. However, there is a, a book that I have had on my desk for the better part of a year, um, which I have read once. Oh, I was going to say, you're sounding like me now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that makes this book really work really well for me is that um, it's broken up into 366, uh, you know, page chunk, hmm. which are designed to be read one page a day. Um, and it's not even a full That's page. Cool. So uh, it is called The Daily Stoic uh, by Ryan Holiday. And essentially it is 366 meditations on wisdom, perseverance, and the art of living. And he draws on Stoic philosophers, uh, Marcus Aurelius, Epictetus, you know, among others, who just have these little thoughts and snippets on life that were as relevant 2000 years ago as they are today, that really sort of, actually, there are a lot of tie-ins to this, to what we've been talking about um, on just building your own character and to, you know, forget about all the things that you can't control. The one thing we can control is ourselves and how we show up and, and what we do and what we say and how we treat people. So that is a, is a great book to have. Again, it's, it's just kind of that daily dose of reminding ourselves of our own mortality, of our own humanness. Uh, and I guess that's, I'm going to give you two extra things because there's one other thing that I really want to make sure that people know or understand is that all of this stuff that we've been talking about allows for humanity, right? We, we yeah. are all going to fail at these things all the time. Mm. Um, and it's not the fact that we're failing. It's what do we do when we fail? Mm. Do we learn from it and move forward? Or do we let our ego, you know, take over and say, ah, screw it, it's not that important. Right. Mm. And it's all about me. It's not about you. So I think there's, you know, again, and all of it's, it's just, it's simplicity. It's the simple little daily things that we do that really change how we show up in the way that we lead others. Perfect way to end. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you coming on. I'm sure this will not be the last time that we ask you to come on. If, but once you're a big famous author, then maybe you won't <laughs> come on. Uh, but thank you so much for spending time today. Really appreciate it. And great conversations as always. Thanks, Matt.